As you find your seat this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew, excuse me, Mark, the first chapter. And if you're new today or if you're not new and you need a copy of the Bible, we want to give you one. We always tell our guests and those who are worshiping with us that we believe the greatest investment that we can make into your life is the investment of the Word of God. And so if you are the type of person who enjoys opening the Bible with the printed copy and you'd love to have a copy, we'd love to give you one. Uh, You can see me after service or... Uh, if you just want to go into the back, back there with the, where the bookcase is, you can just grab a copy. And uh, we have celebrated this several times, but it just bears mentioning again. I'm so thankful that we now have large print Bibles. I've said this to you before. I'm in the season of life where that matters. <laughs> and so uh, if that's where you're at, we want to give you a copy of the Word of God. In Mark chapter 1 this morning, uh, we are going to study... A passage of Scripture in which the actions of Jesus may not shock us, but certainly would have shocked the people that he was around at the time. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you are so sure that you're going to be able to predict what somebody is going to do. That happens often with people that you love or people that you're close to or sometimes even people that you work with. Something happens in the office and you think to yourself, oh, I know exactly what she is going to say. I know exactly what he is going to say. And, and oftentimes we kind of get a little predictive, don't we, with God. We, we think we know what God's going to do or say next. And certainly the people that were following Jesus in in the time of Mark chapter 1 would have fallen into that category. And and I want for us to just read this passage through and then go back and walk slowly through this text and really capture uh, not just an understanding but an appreciation for what we think would have Jesus would have done and, and then celebrating what he actually did instead. This morning we're studying the last little section of God's Word in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 40. We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter. So verses 40 through 45, this is what God's Word says. And a leper came to him, imploring him. Now, if you don't have the ESV, your Bible may say begging Jesus. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity or moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. For a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, if you have your notes this morning, you see basically that we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the posture uh, of this 
leprous man who came to Jesus. And the second thing that we're going to do is look at responses. And so look with me, if you would. We've, we've looked all the way through the scripture. And let's go back and examine chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 40. There's several things here that I really would like for us to consider because I think it maximizes the impact that God's word will have on us then when we turn our attention and begin to look at the responses. So in verse 40 it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, and said to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. A couple of things that I want for us to notice. First, it says that a leper came to Jesus. Now, uh, obviously, Jesus was in a town. Uh, He was out walking streets, ducking into people's houses and healing them. We know that he had a ministry of healing. We know that he had a ministry of teaching. We know that he had a ministry among the people. And I cannot explain to you how shocking it probably would have been for Jesus to just be out in the marketplace walking around and all of a sudden someone with leprosy to start walking down the street. I mean, you talk about get stares and people start whispering, oh, there's a a leprous person. I cannot explain to you how shocking this would be. Now, a little bit because of the Old Testament, like in the Old Testament, we know that people who were leprous were considered religiously unclean. Like, You weren't supposed to go out in public if you had leprosy. You were considered not just physically unclean, but you were considered religiously unclean as well. And here's a man with leprosy going out in public and having the audacity to go and find the presence of Jesus and go to him. And so I think about what would it have been like? And I think about this. I think about second grade. In North Louisiana, at Negrete School. And I cannot tell you that I was the perfect student. And when we got out in recess, sometimes we went a little too far. And we were out at Negrete School one time in North Louisiana, me and my friend Lee, and we saw a little grass snake, and Lee caught it. And at the time, I was not walking with the Lord. And I said, Lee, I dare you to take that into class. And Lee looked down at that snake in his hand, and he put it in his pocket. And about that time, the teacher came yelling for us to go inside, and so... We both look at each other with the biggest grin like you'd ever seen in your whole life. And we start going in. Now, you know the problem with two second graders that have a little thing that we're about to do? We can't keep it a secret. We didn't get halfway back to the school before I was saying, Hey, look at Lee's pocket. See how it's moving? There's a snake in there. No, there's not a snake in there. There's a snake in there. Lee, show them the snake. And would you believe that from the playground to the edge of the school, they arranged an uprising? Because I did not consider that not everybody wanted Lee to take the snake into the school. 
And people were losing their minds over it. Now, this was just a little snake. But they were yelling and they were calling the teacher and they were doing everything that they could to prevent Lee from getting close to the classroom. I mean, you know, that was like 100 years ago in the second grade in North Louisiana. But think about it in today's world. Like think if uh, some young kid or adult perhaps wanted to be mischievous just happened to bring a snake into the worship center and turn it loose in here. I mean, can't you imagine that you would emotionally strongly be against that person being around you if you were in the worship center and they had a snake in their pocket. Imagine how crazy of a scene that got. And the reason I tell you that story this morning is because emotionally that's about where the people would have been when this man that had leprosy started walking down the street to find Jesus. They were appalled. They would have been disgusted. They would have emotionally wanted to do everything that they could do to keep that leprous man where he was. Go back home. You don't belong out in public. And I guess the point that I'm making to you is this, and I don't want to belabor it because we've got a lot to look at this morning. But here's, here's what I want for us to appreciate about this man. He wouldn't let society and friends or family, or neighbors keep him from going into the presence of Jesus. Now, I understand that nowhere in the text does it say that anybody tried to stop him. I understand that I'm reading into it the thoughts of a lot of people. But you have to understand, first century, these people would have been going crazy that there was a leprous man around them. And so the point being that this leprous man had the courage, the audacity to go and to find Jesus. And so when we, when we think this morning about his posture, I think of a posture of tenacity. I think of a posture of, of persistence and perseverance where he decided he was going to be in the presence of Jesus. Now the ESV says imploring him. And that word is an interesting word when you look at it in the original language. It, it literally means to invite close. This man went to Jesus and he was inviting Jesus to come close. And, and if you're reading a translation other than the ESV, you may actually have the word in your text, begging. This man came into the presence of Jesus and began begging him. And while we're thinking about this idea of posture, I want you to notice what he did when he got into the presence of Jesus. He knelt before him. He knelt before him. And obviously we know this because we know that leprosy dealt an incredible blow to people in these days. But his desperation caused him to go find Jesus and to kneel before Jesus and to beg Jesus. And his theological perspective is second to none. He knows a lot about the Lord. And we discover that through the brief little sentence that he speaks to Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. What is his posture? His posture is persistence and tenacity. His posture is seeking the presence of Jesus. His posture is humbling himself in the presence of Jesus. His posture is one of faith. 
Jesus, I know that you can make me clean, if you will. This is who I want to be. I want to be like this leprous man who refuses to allow anything about society or anything about current circumstances keep me from pursuing the presence of Jesus. And when I come into the presence of Jesus, I want to be humble. I want to come and kneel before him. And when I come into the presence of Jesus, what I want to do is to speak with faith. Lord, if you're willing, you can do this. This is his posture. Here is a man who is not only physically ill, but he is considered to be religiously or ceremoniously unclean. And look what he says. If you are willing, you can make me clean. That word clean, before we look at replies, understand what that word means. In the New Testament, it's used in three ways. It's used first to cleanse someone from a physical illness. Okay, so if you have a cold and you're in your covers and you're taking all of your vitamin C and you're not feeling good and you say, Oh God, would you please cleanse me? You're asking for the Lord to heal you in the physical sense. That word would be appropriate. But in addition to physical illness, it also is used in the New Testament in a ceremonial way. So if, if you were to get ready for lunch today and, and then you go into the restroom or wherever, uh, if you're at home or if you go to a restaurant today and you go into the bathroom and you wash your hands, that word would fit there as well. It not only means a physical cleansing, but it's this ceremoniously outward cleansing as well. But this word is also used in the New Testament for a spiritual cleansing. And when the Lord says, you have been cleansed, when he says your faith has, has made you well and your sins have been forgiven, or when he says to someone that your sins have been cleansed, it's the same word. It's used three different ways. It can be used physically. It can be used externally, ceremoniously, and it can be used spiritually. Now, you may be wondering, why am I saying all of this? Because I want you to identify this morning where you need to be cleansed. I want you to consider this morning that just like the leper knew that he needed cleansing from Jesus, I want to ask you this morning to self-reflect a little bit and, and, and understand, maybe even spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, where do I need to be cleansed? Do I need it physically? Do I need it spiritually? Do I need it both? Where do I need to be cleansed? But this man's theology and his faith and his actions were on point. They were spot on. This, we can learn a lot from this man uh, who had leprosy. The leper came to him, tenacity, persistence, imploring him, kneeling in humility, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now let's look at verse 41. Here's where we kind of shift and we begin looking at replies, responses this morning. First response that we look at is Jesus' response. It says, moved with compassion. Some of our translations will say compassion. Some of our translations will say pity. 
Uh, you may have a different word in your translation. But again, we mentioned this several weeks ago. If you weren't here several weeks ago, we talked about what is compassion. Compassion isn't simply an emotion. It isn't simply something that you feel. It is being moved to action because of a way that you feel inside about someone. So we can never say that we've had compassion on someone. We do nothing for them. And so again, it, it's, this, this definition rings true again and, and demonstrates itself to be accurate again because it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with pity and he decided to say to this man, I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him. Now there's a lot that we could say here. And as I read this out loud and you look at it in your text, probably there's a lot of things that are going through your mind. But one of the things that I want you to see is that the God of heaven, because of his love and compassion for people, seeks to bless others. I want you to understand that. And my prayer as we begin to walk through Mark is that we would allow the Word of God to shape the way that we view Jesus. We've said this several times over the past couple of years. It is is inappropriate for us to, with our uh, imagination, create the Jesus that we want to exist. We need to let the Bible define for us who Jesus is, what his character was, what his values were, his actions. We need to look at God the way the Bible presents God and not make up God for ourselves. And when we do that, we look at scriptures like this and we see that Jesus has compassion on people. It says in verse 41, Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with pity. And I want you to look at that next phrase. He stretched out his hand and he touched a leper. And the equivalent to that would have been if Lee would have made it into class and pulled that snake out and just thrown it right into the middle of the classroom and everybody go crazy. Because in that culture, for somebody to reach out and touch a leper was one of the most horrendous, disgusting, defiling things that a person could possibly do. And they were looking for Jesus, the rabbi, to criticize the leper. What are you doing in public? You should go back. You should go back to your house. You should go back and sit there until you get well. You should not be out. And if they were looking at Jesus, the rabbi, they would have never thought that Jesus, the rabbi, was going to reach out and touch a man with leprosy. And yet he does. You see, sometimes we think we can predict what someone is going to do. And we find out that we're wrong. Jesus reached out and touched a man with leprosy. There's so many practical things that we can glean from that. And there are so many theological truths that we can glean from that. And it's almost like we could do like a, an entire message and maybe even two over the theological implications of a holy God reaching out and touching something that wasn't holy and making it whole again. 
But we'll summarize it by saying this. Everywhere that Jesus went, he found brokenness, decay, and chaos and brought healing and order to it. And does it right here. And where the rest culture would be appalled that Jesus would reach out his hand and touch this man leprosy, he does so. Why? Well, you may say, so he could heal him. No. Jesus didn't have to touch this man with leprosy to heal him. Jesus could have, I don't know, snapped his fingers and healed him or given him the nod. You know, the like, Jesus could have given him the nod and healed him. He could have said, he could have kneeled before him and, and he could have been stand, kneeling there and say, Jesus, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus could have went like this. Kind of a little side click. He didn't have to touch him. What is the significance of Jesus choosing to touch the leper in the process of bringing healing? I think it's so that we and our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and all the way through Christendom would look at this and realize what we've already realized from like seven weeks ago, that Jesus isn't afraid nor does he run from brokenness. He engages it. He cleanses it. He addresses it. He speaks to it. He acts upon it. Look with me, if you would, in the Scripture. Go back with me. Look in verse 41. Moved with pity. This is still the response of Jesus. What's his response? He's moved with compassion. He responds to his request. And he reached out. And he touched him. Verse 42. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was made, what? Clean. He was made clean. Can I tell you this morning that if you were to look into your heart and look into your life and be scandalized by what you saw and see the perhaps dirtiness that lingers there that we may not know about and we may not see. But if you look into your heart and say, oh, God, show me what you see, you might not like what you see sometimes. There's some brokenness in each of us. And even of those of us who are walking with the Lord, we're not perfect, are we? From time to time, we we get a glimpse. The Lord gives us perspective and he shows us some things in our life. It's kind of like inward leprosy like leprosy on our heart, areas in our life that we're not proud of, that we don't want, that we feel a little shame about. Can I just tell you this? Jesus can cleanse that. You may be hiding it from your pastor, from the people sitting around you. You may be doing a really good job at hiding it. But you're not hiding it from the Lord. The good news, the gospel is that he can cleanse that inward leprosy that some of us may be carrying around this morning. That response is glorious. Moved with compassion, he reached out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And that leprosy left him and he was made clean, but the response is not over. 
we are still in the response of Jesus. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And what did he charge him with? Here's what he did. Verse 44. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Look at that last phrase. For a proof to them. Now here's where that word might be used in a ceremonial way. When you were cleansed with leprosy, if you're a practicing Jew in first century Judaism, and you were cleansed from leprosy, your next move was to go present yourself to the priest and say, ta-da, I'm clean. Now do your thing for me. And I'm going to give you this offering, and I want you to do your thing uh, where, where you declare me to be clean so that I can get back in society, so that I can go to Market Basket again, right? So that I can go out to eat again. Because, again, if you had leprosy, you were not to go out in society. And so Jesus heals him, and he says, listen, man. Don't say anything to anyone. Go straight to the priest. Present yourself to the priest. Offer the offering. Prove to them that you are clean so that you can be declared clean ceremoniously. That's what he wanted him to do. He wanted him to go tell the priest. And here's where it gets a little theologically tricky. Because the scripture says he didn't do that. Look at verse 45. Here's the second response. Now we've looked at Jesus' response. He had compassion. He touched him. He healed him. And he gave him instructions, right? Now here's the man's response. But that's not what he did. Verse 45. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let me tell you something about staff here at the fellowship. We get along really good. We love each other. We're on the same team. We serve each other. We lift each other up. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We labor together. Rarely do we fight. But about a month ago, we had a knockdown drag out. And it was over this passage. We had the biggest theological debate that you could ever imagine. And here was the question. I'm going to ask you this question that, that had our staff going, No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it can't possibly be that. Here's the question. When this guy went out and began to tell everybody about how awesome Jesus is and about what Jesus had done for his life, was that a sin? Our staff was divided. Because here's the thing. As a lead pastor, as elders, as staff, we are forever trying to motivate people to go out and to talk to people about Jesus. Tell people about what Jesus has done for your life. Tell them about how he took the leprosy, whether it's outside or inside. He cleansed it and how he set you free and how he's given you meaning and purpose. Go out there and tell the world. And I'm telling you, just like I said, sometimes you think Jesus is going to do one thing and he does the other. He did that to me in this text. He tells this guy, don't tell anyone. 
what? I've spent 20 years of my life telling people to go out and tell people what Jesus has done. And he's saying to this guy, look, go straight to the priest. Don't stop and tell anybody what's happened to you. Don't tell people what Jesus has done for you. Are you kidding me? And so I asked the question in staff. Is this guy living in sin because he told everybody what Jesus had done for him? I mean, we were arguing for days over this. We still haven't resolved it. We just decide not to talk about it anymore because we... (laughs) What a healthy way to deal with conflict, right? Just don't talk about it and just keep moving, right? What an unhealthy way to deal with it. No, we have. We've come to a conclusion. They've, they've decided to agree with me. <laughs> Out of loving kindness. Just like, okay, pastor, you're right. Let's just keep it moving, right? But think about that. Isn't that an interesting dynamic? Don't tell anyone. Go straight to the priest. And he did the opposite. He went out and started telling everyone. And I think it's important for us to understand. Jesus wasn't saying to this man who was previously uh, with leprosy to not tell anyone. He said, first, go tell the priest. First, go tell the priest so that you can be declared clean with the understanding then that you were going to be in context of society sharing with people what magnificent thing that the Lord Jesus had done. So ultimately, the staff is not in debate. We are not in conflict. You do not have to be stressed about this. The point here that we all agree is that it was a point of order. Jesus said, go first to the priest and demonstrate to them that you have been healed. And that's what Jesus wanted him to do. But the scripture says instead of doing that, he just kept going around in the culture, in society, in the neighborhood, talking about what the Lord had done. Look with me, if you would, again, verse 45. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, 99.9 times out of 100 This is what we need to do. Go out there and spread the news. Now, if the Lord says go do something first, go do it first. And then go out there and spread the news. And to talk freely about what God has done in your life. And and to tell everyone about the news of what Jesus has done in your life. And it was so powerful of a testimony. Look at the results of this testimony. It was so powerful of a testimony That Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but he had to like operate out in desolate places because of his popularity. But then look at that last phrase. And people were coming to him from everywhere. There's a lot of lessons here, isn't there? There's a lot of theological goodness in this text. But what I want you to notice this morning is the way it starts and the way it ends. It starts with somebody who was so desperate to be in the presence of Jesus that he would do anything to get there. He had leprosy. He wasn't supposed to be out running the streets and walking up and down the avenues and the blocks. 
But he decided he was going to go to where Jesus was. Nothing was going to stop him. And isn't it interesting that the end of this text tells the same story? Jesus got so popular that he had to go out and operate in what the Scripture says, desolate places. Places where nobody lived, where they hadn't built houses yet. Wastelands or undeveloped properties. And Jesus was out there. And look at what it says. And people were coming to him from everywhere. Again, the story of people being so hungry to be around Jesus that they won't let anything stop them. And I close this morning by asking you one question. Do you have a hunger for Jesus that matches the beginning of the story and the end of this story? Are you so dedicated and committed to living your life in the presence of God that society won't stop you and if you have to get up and go to desolate places, you'll get up and go to desolate places. I, I just think it is not a coincidence that a large section of this story revolves around and hinges on human beings being committed to pursuing being in the presence of Jesus. And I want to close this morning by giving you three practical ways that you can practice that same passion for being in the presence of Jesus. Three practical ways that you can practice this passion. The first is to make it a daily top priority. I know that you have a lot going on. I know that you're busy. Whatever season of life that you're in, whether you're a spouse or you're not a spouse, whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether your parents are still living or not living, whether you're working or not, whatever your season of life is, I am certain that you have a lot on your to-do list. From going to school to going to jobs, whatever it may be, I get it. You're busy. You've got friends. You've got obligations. But if we're going to live with this type of passion, with the man who was leprous, who decided, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus, to the people that we see at the end of verse 45, where they're committed to going to pursue Jesus from every quarter, even if it meant going to desolate places, we're going to have to make it a daily priority. Second practical tip is to allow the Word of God to guide that practice. When we open the Bible and read it, we're hearing from the Lord. When we spend time in God's Word, we read the words of Jesus or we see God operate in the Old Testament. When we spend time reading the Scripture, we are actually spending time with the Lord Himself. We are hearing from the Lord. We are reading His Word. And so we need to make it a daily priority. We need to spend time in the Word of God. And a third practical tip would be this. 
Surround yourself with like-minded people. Find a group of friends. Connect with a group of people who, who also want to spend time in the presence of God. Make sure that the people that you're opening your heart to or spending time with or, 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 I mean, I know you can't do this if you're working with people, but what I'm saying to you is this. Surround yourself with people who are committed to this, and you're a lot more likely to hold it as a personal priority. Make sure that, that you spend time with people who aren't walking with God. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying to, to lock out everybody in your life who's not a believer. We are evangelicals. We ask God to put us in relationship with people who need to hear about the Lord Jesus. But what I'm saying to you is if you want to be hungry for being in the presence of God, make sure that you surround yourself with like-minded people. And I wanted to close this morning with kind of a practical word about that because we've been all over the place this morning with this text. Uh, We've looked at his posture. We've looked at Jesus' response. We've looked at his response. We've been a lot of different places. But I wanted for us to end this morning by acknowledging and desiring to mirror this passion to be a follower of Jesus and a seeker of Jesus. So we're going to close this morning with prayer. I invite you to stand to your feet, if you would, and bow with me for prayer as we close our time. If you're online with us this morning and you're worshiping with us online, we invite you to pray with us as well. And as you bow for prayer this morning, I want to remind you of the posture of the leprous man towards Jesus. He took action. He walked out of his front door and he left to go find Jesus. And he implored Jesus. He knelt before Jesus in humility. he spoke to the Lord with faith maybe you need to do that this morning Lord so much happened in this story it's hard for us to get our minds around It's hard for us to anchor our hearts in one specific point that we can take away with us. But we see and we observe, Lord, that whether it's the man with leprosy or it's the townspeople who went out to you in desolate places, people were committed to the pursuit of being in your presence. And so, O oh Lord, We say to you, that is the type of faith that we want to embody. I pray for our students this morning, for those who are in our kids' ministry and even those who are in our student ministry, that their young hearts and minds would be tuned to being hungry for your presence. 
And that even as society puts expectations of them not pursuing Jesus, that just like the man with leprosy, they would pursue you nonetheless. And for those of us who've been walking with you for a season, may we never lose our humility. When we come into your presence, may we do so kneeling. For you are a great Lord. We bring to you our voice of faith. There's a lot of things in our life sometimes, Lord, that causes us to be confused or frustrated or even angry, but we choose to bring to you our voice of faith. If you will, you can. Thank you for the ministry that you've allowed for us to experience today and to be a part of, for singing out some great hymns, for praying with our sister Cassie as she walks through grief, for opening our hearts and minds to the power and the transforming nature of the Word of God for giving us a chance to encourage one another, Lord. Thank you for a rich and great and powerful morning of worship in your presence. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.